Inside of your bulletin, uh, there's a little card that Pam prepared for you. It's uh, three verses, and you can memorize these, Philippians 1, 9 through 11. In the Sunday night services, I've been going through the book of Philippians, and this is a prayer that I've been teaching on. I've been praying this prayer for me, for my family, and I've been praying it for you. And uh, it has greatly impacted my life. And so I want you to have this so this can be your prayer list. And, uh, and come on, join us on, on Sunday nights, and you can learn uh, the depths of this prayer, how you can pray it more effectively. But uh, the best thing you can do is to memorize it, and that's why we put it there for you. Uh, before, uh, before I preach, Ani, would you bring him up here real quick? Will he come up here? Bring him up here with you. And go ahead and bring his little whatever he's eating back there, too. This is my grandson. I'm so glad to have him here today. And my daughter-in-law, Ani. He's going to sit in here and hear Poppy preach today. He's never heard me preach before. And I bet, I bet you will go to sleep before he does. And isn't he a handsome boy? Yeah, he loves me so much. He's a good boy. Of all of my all of my grandkids, and this is not significant other than to maybe myself, it sure isn't to God. But he is the only one that carries the name Johnson. That's a male that will perpetuate that name. So and uh that doesn't mean my other ones kids aren't unimportant. But I sure do love this guy. He's he's special. So anyhow, go back there and take a nap, will you, Daddy? And uh <laughs> All right, it's good to have uh, y'all here today. One of the uh, hurts, one of the great hurts of my life, probably the greatest hurt of my life, I would say, has been uh, the people that have started with me in the work of God and been my dear, dear friends and are not in the work of God anymore. And for me, it is a very uh, a grievous matter. I don't mean in a, in a judgmental way or a negative way where I think that I'm better than them because I know that I'm not. Because if, if they can do that, I can do that. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said this. He said, if any man thinks ill of you, do not be angry with him for you're worse than he thinks you to be. And that's true. So I, I don't think uh, less of them. It just makes me be more, more careful. But if it's appropriate, I, I have reached out to them and remained friends with them as best I could because sometimes that's a very difficult thing, especially in ministry. And again, not because of uh, any vibes that I have sent. But on a number of occasions, there's been the opportunity to sit down with them over a meal uh, because of my closer relationship with them, and asked them what were the conditions and reasons that led to their their fall. And without exception, part of that was that they lost sight of their purpose. But listen to the way I phrase this. It was not only that they lost sight of their purpose, but there were some things that supported that. And it's easy sometimes to just say, well... Um, 
my son or my wife or my friend got out of the will of God. But there are some things at the root of that, at the foundation of that. Why does that happen to us? Pursuing your purpose will be tested. It's not easy. If it were easy, everybody would do it. The will of God is the best thing. But it's a difficult thing. Because we're opposed on so many fronts. Now, several uh, weeks ago, I started a series of sermons. I just meant for it to be a couple of messages. And the more I got into it, the more I realized this was very crucial on the importance of purpose. And I basically taught you that that success is always related to design. Whenever you have a design, you have a designer. And the key to success is identifying the design in that relationship. What is my design as a husband? What's my design as a wife? My design as a parent? My design as a brother? My design as an uncle? Those are relational questions. Uh, was my design as a pastor? Was my design as a church member? You can't be successful if you don't know the function. Even architects have that mantra that form follows function. You discover what is the function of the facility and then the form of the architecture will, of the flow will go around that. Success simply is fulfilling your God-given purpose. I like what George W. Truett said. He said success is finding God's will in life as early as possible and then doing it. But having said that, and I believe that, that does not mean that it's easy. And there are some common causes, and that's what I want to deal with. Last week I gave you one. I want to give you another one this morning. That we start, but we do not finish this purpose. And I believe that one of the purposes of a pastor is to equip the people with these challenges so you're not surprised by them. I think sometimes that uh, preachers unintentionally portray the will of God as, as something that's easy. And once you get in there, once you become a Christian, everything just uh, works out. And you go to heaven and, and you trust Christ as your Savior. When you get saved, you get an enemy. And uh, there's some opposition that's involved. It becomes a, a difficult matter. There's basically three types of people, and that's what the series is built around, these three categories of people. So we talk about the importance of purpose. Number one, some have never considered their purpose. And I brought three messages on that, that God has a design for you. He has a purpose. God wants you to be successful, not based on what the world says, but what His Word says. What is God's design for you? And I believe, I don't know who oriented this statement, but I, I agree with it, that God always, God always gives His best to those who leave the choice to Him. Every time, God always gives His best to those who leave the choice to Him. And several weeks ago, I talked to you about how to discover God's purpose for your life. He's not hiding. Sometimes we talk about finding God's will like it's a hard thing. And I, I, I told you that that's never been a difficult thing for me to know the will of God. It's been difficult for me to do the will of God. The will of God is found in the Word of God. Once you find the will of God in the Word of God, then you begin to plow on. But maybe you're here this morning, you, you've never discovered God's purpose for your life. Can I just say this, and I'll move on very quickly because I spent a lot of time on this. 
First of all, God's will for your life is to be saved. And if you're here this morning, you've never been saved. That's the most important thing. But it's also the entryway. You'll never know any other of God's purposes for your life. You've got to come to Christ and, and bow your head in your heart and say, Lord, I, I've broken your law. Have mercy on me and save me. And he will transform your life and put you on the path, that good path, and, and lead you on to some wonderful things. But maybe you're here and you've never considered your purpose. The second category of people, and those are people that have forgotten their purpose. That's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Last week I, I gave you one of those reasons. One of the causes that people forget their purpose is because of the weariness of life. You know, when, when trials come in your life, and, and I spent the whole message on this, on the fatigue, life is difficult. And uh, Tim saying about following the wind, sometimes we're facing into a hurricane. And uh, you get into a survival mode. And when you get into survival mode, what happens is you lose your compass. And you forget your purpose. I've been there. I'm sure I've been there this year. Even maybe on certain days as a mom, you're just trying to survive as a dad at work. You're having a bad day. And, and maybe your health is in. You're just trying to survive. You're not even thinking about the will of God. You've read the Bible, but you're not thinking about your purpose. You're just trying to... Trying to do what you're supposed to do. Well, that's God's will for your life. But weariness, weariness and fatigue can get you to forget your design and your purpose. And pretty soon you're just trying to cover up those wounds. Now today I want to talk to you about this and I think that it will help you. The second cause of forgetting God's purpose for your life is a lack of progress. A lack of progress. Now I know this will help you. Some of you are here in this condition. If not, you're going to be. I hope that you will listen to this. A lack of progress. You get to a place in life where God gave you a promise. And it's right there, black and white. And you begin to pursue that promise. Maybe going to college somewhere. Maybe somebody you married. Something else. And uh, you just don't see the things happening that you thought would happen. I, I use the word traction sometimes. I, I, there's been times in my life when I, I haven't had traction in my life. And I just feel like, God, I'm not making progress. I preached sermons before, and, and I've used a metaphor that I've never heard. Maybe other people have used it. It's like running in mud. And I feel like after the message was over, I, I didn't have any known sin in my life. I don't know what it was, but I was just running in mud. There was no progress there. It's a very discouraging thing. There have been times in years past, I can't do it anymore just because of my, my health. But in years past, when I was younger, and I could, man, I could run real fast. I'd call on somebody to pray. I'd just slip out of the auditorium. I'd just go somewhere away by myself. You're right after the service. Because I was so burdened for myself, not, not for you, but for myself because of that hour. Because I believe that, that what happens here is so serious, it's so sober, it's life and death. Paul is uh, out of town this morning. In fact, Jimmy, uh, Cheryl, the pastor there, did she, con- did she contact you? Isn't that something? 
She's at another church, and uh, one of the pastors there knows all of us. But anyhow, um, I forgot. You made me forget Jimmy and Cheryl. You had to buy my dinner sometime. I forgot. Anyhow, it wasn't important. But I, I will leave, and I, I just want to think and say, God, why, why am I? I know it was about life and death. That, that this is such an important thing. But Paula will say sometimes, we'll get in the car, and she'll say, you're too serious. <laughs> You're too serious. You need to lighten up. Used to be funny. And I'd say, well, okay. Well, if you get a horse or something like that, and I can make some horse sounds. If you weren't here last week, it, it, it won't mean anything to you at all, what I just said. But uh, she'll say, you get up there, and you have those beady eyes and looking out at us and so forth. And I'm supposed, I'm not supposed to be the prophet. I'm supposed to be the pastor, you know. And, uh, but you know, sometimes you, you live with the truth for not just a week, but weeks. And you, and those of you that preach understand what I'm talking about. You know, this, this is heavy. The prophets in the Old Testament called the burden of the Lord. And it wasn't to preach. It was the message. This is, this has life or death in it. And so... Sometimes maybe you're like that where, where you feel like, God, I don't have traction. I'm not making purpose. You know, impatience, listen carefully, impatience will cause you to get out of the will of God. Don't allow what you are seeing or what you are not seeing to get you out of God's purpose. I want to say that again. That's so important. Don't allow what you are seeing because you didn't expect to see that. Or what you were not seeing because you did expect to see something else. To get you out of God's purpose for your life. Now, in the Bible, there in Romans 8, I ask you to turn there. Would you look there in Romans chapter 8? Look at verse 22. And we see weariness and we also see a lack of progress here. Notice in verse 22, Romans eight twenty-two. For we know... That the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. You see that with the storms, the hurricanes. I don't know if you saw recently that tsunami that came on and some of the, the images of that, or that the water. A couple of thousand were killed recently. Was it Indonesia and so forth? That's what the, the scripture is talking about there because of sin. The whole creation groans and travails in pain as a mom giving birth, and the, these images because of sin, because of grief, because of suffering. And not only they, that is creation, but ourselves also. In other words, we grieve, we groan, we travail in pain. We're weary, we suffer. And that, as I said, that can get you out of God's purpose. And then he says this, we have the first fruits of the Spirit we also ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting. I have that word circled. That's the lack of progress, at least to us, not to God. We're waiting. We're waiting for the adoption, for the rapture. God, when is Jesus coming? When is his suffering going to stop? Um, for me, one of the things, when are these headaches going to stop? When, when, when is this going to get better? I sure do get tired of this. I don't want to complain about it, but can't, can't I have a better quality here? Waiting. 
there's a lack of progress. It seems that's not true, but from my perspective, God is not bound by time, but I am. God doesn't have a body, but I do. Jesus did. He understands Hebrews 4. I sent a, a note a couple weeks ago, late Saturday night, to Johnny Pope in Texas and Houston. Johnny has migraines a lot. I said, Johnny, I can't even focus. I, I can't pray. I can't. I said, just, just pray for me. I know, I know you understand with these headaches. And he wrote me back, and he put Hebrews 4 about Jesus being tempted as we are. He said, maybe Jesus had headaches, you know, and he understands and so forth. I don't know. Waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. Now watch this. For we are saved by hope. We're saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. If you have it in your hand, you're not hoping for it. It's realized. For what a man seeth, why does he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it? In other words... We have patience because of hope. We have endurance because of what we're hoping for. And the whole idea here is I'm talking to you about losing your purpose for life because of lack of progress. In the middle of that, when there's no traction, when the equation doesn't balance out, you've got to have hope. Because if, if you do not have hope, then you're going, to, you're going to lose your purpose. You're going to get out of the will of God. And you're going to have some great regrets in your life. This happened to Abraham and Sarah. God promised to them that they would have a son. He would be the promised child. And then he made them wait for 20 years. Now, he didn't have to do that. He could have promised to give them the child. And then given them the child within the year. But he made them wait for 20 years because he wanted it to be, not it, but he wanted him. He wanted him to be a miracle child. You've got your Bible open to Genesis 16. Look there in Genesis chapter 16. Look at verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children. Now that was not a problem for God, but it was for them. Because after a period of time, as time passed, I think this was about 10 years, they had this promise from God, but it had been about a decade and nothing had happened. No children. Well, God, you said, you said, but there's no traction here. The purpose is not fulfilled. I thought that this is the way it would look like. And she had a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said unto Abram, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. Now, this was a common practice by then. Now, let me say this. That she, she had this idea that was not from God. Whenever, whenever you lose hope and you lose faith, you begin to scheme. Well, if this, if this is not God's plan, let me help God out. There's got to be a plan B and a plan C and a plan D. And let me have some safety nets down here to, to help God out. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarai. Now, man, I, I think we need to listen to our wife. I think that God has given her to us and she has aptitudes. She has perspectives. 
not just out of respect for her, but out of wisdom that she has that we do not have, that we need to listen to her. But you're the spiritual leader in the home, and I'm going to tell you there are many times that your wife is speaking out of her emotions, and and her her, her thoughts are not fully completed. And, and you, need to, you need to be wise enough to say, no, that's probably, you need to listen to her. But that's not the best thing to do. But he didn't do that here. He hearkened. He listened to her and he did what she said. And Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife and went into Hagar and she conceived now, Sarah couldn't have the baby. I'm call her Sarah because everybody does this before God changed her name. But now her, her handmaid was going to have the child. Now, watch the rest of the verse. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. And all of a sudden... She, she began to, to despise uh, Sarah, and Sarah began to despise Hagar. And there was trouble in the home. And many women, when you begin to panic, you do things you regret. Every time. I can go back in my life and I can track things that when I began to doubt the hand of God, and when I didn't see the traction or I didn't see things move the way I wanted to, then maybe I made a purchase I shouldn't have or made a decision I shouldn't have or maybe I waited and I shouldn't have. Now, notice what this thing got worse. Scoot down to verse 11, same chapter. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, God has uh, dealing with Hagar now. Behold, thou art with child and shall bear a son and shall call his name Ishmael, who was not the promised son. You know that. That was Isaac. Because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. Now watch this. And he will be a wild man. His hand will be against every man and every man's hand against him. Now you, you know this, that this is where the Arab people came from. Now this does not mean that they're cursed. It just means that this was the nature of this people. This is where Al-Qaeda came from. This is where ISIS came from. This is where the conflict between the Arabs and the Jews, not just in that century, not just in that moment, but thousands, listen, thousands of years later, because of the folly of what one couple made, we're experiencing the trouble. I remember uh, reading the commentary with John Phillips about Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3 about the original sin, when Adam and Eve sinned. And Philip said, I wonder, after creation was cursed, if Adam ever looked around and realized that perpetually what he had done to future generations, boy, it captured my imagination. Do you realize that your, your decisions reverberate to your children and your grandchildren? Now, there's mercy, there's grace, yes, there is. God can help you with that, but your actions have consequences. And many times these actions are unnecessary. That's what I'm saying. And we do those things because we do not feel we're making any progress. And so we we make foolish choices. 
And move over a few more chapters in Genesis chapter 21. Let me show you one other thing. Genesis chapter 21, look at verse 9. Genesis 21 and verse 9. And Sarah, she's got her new name now, saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, which she had born unto Abram, mocking, that is, he was mocking Isaac, if you read the chapter. There was conflict. There was about 13 years difference between them. Wherefore, she said unto Abraham, cast out this bondwoman and her son. It's me or them. And so he he put them out of the house. For the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. Now, here's the line I want you to see. And the thing, this thing, what had happened, was very grievous in Abraham's sight because of his son. Short-term disobedience brings lasting conflict. The decisions you make when you feel like you're not making progress will make you lose your purpose for a while, and it will be costly. Now, I want to give you kind of a a process that, that evolves in your life when things appear to be going slow. And this is such an important time. And you begin to kind of lose hope. And you start, well, I'll start doing things on my own. And here's what happens. This happens to me, and I know it's going to happen to you. Maybe some of you are in the middle of this cycle. I think this will help you. And the devil begins to whisper these things in your ear. And this is so destructive. First of all, when you believe lies about God's purpose in your life during this season, when things are just going slow, all right? First of all, it leads to a sense of failure. And I intentionally use that expression because sometimes failure is not failure. You sense that you fail. You feel that you fail. You, you feel, F-E-E-L. You, you, you feel that you're not making progress from your perspective. But before God ever does a work through you, he does a work in you. And God's trying to do some work in you so that he can do a work through you. And sometimes God allows you to, in your, in your perspective, to fail So you can have a greater success later on. During this stage of time when you're not making much progress, you look at other families and their kids are doing well. And their kids are obedient. Their son is not rebellious. That man's got a good job and you've worked harder than he has. And you begin to make comparisons with other people in the same stage of life. And and it affects your attitude. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12, For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend ourselves. Watch this. Measuring themselves by themselves. That's not your standard. Don't do that. Measuring themselves by themselves or comparing themselves among themselves. And here's the line, you are not wise. Now, if you're not wise, you're a fool. You begin to make foolish choices. You have foolish paradigms. You think foolish thoughts. When you think foolish thoughts, they lead to foolish actions, and you end up with foolish consequences. This is so so critical that when you're in this this valley, when, when it just seems like I'm not making progress, that you don't begin to... Make comparisons, even though you feel you feel like a failure. I've been there. 
I was sitting across the table from a very dear pastor friend of mine. And one of his mentors unwittingly had made him feel like a failure. And uh, frankly, he had just done some things that he, and said some things he shouldn't have said. And my friend with, with tears in his eyes, who, who had a very tender heart for God and, and, and is a great man, said, Rick, I just feel like I, I feel like I just have a big F on my forehead all the time. I'm a failure. I'm just a failure. And when you go through life with that sense, because I can't make progress, the devil will whisper that. But some of you are there because you compare yourself with other people. Psalm 139, God gave you a distinctive fingerprint. He gave you a distinctive DNA. He gave you a distinctive gift mix that is unique, that you bring something to the table that nobody else can bring. You are not a failure because you fail. You're a failure because you stay down. You're a failure because you don't learn from your mistakes. That's what makes you a failure. But in that time, you do have a sense of being a failure. This leads, secondly, to discontentment. You lose your joy. Envy replaces peace. You lose perspective, and all of a sudden, a bad attitude begins to fill your heart. Sometimes I tell people when they have a bad attitude, I forget who said this, but I, I like his statement. He said, nothing is easy to the unwilling. When you have an unwilling spirit, nothing is easy. You just have a bad spirit. And so there's a discontentment. Lord, I don't like this place. I want to be, watch this, I want to be successful. Well, how are you defining success? By design. Well, what is God's design for your life? Are you pursuing that design? Well, yes, I am, but things aren't happening the way that I want them to ha- happen. And I feel like I'm not, making, I'm not making progress. I'm just kind of running in mud. I'm just, there, there aren't many visible results with my kids. There's not a lot of visible results with my job. There's not a lot of visible results in my Christian life. There's not a lot there. And so your heart gets filled with discontentment. And you get further away from God's design. The next level of spiraling down is is bitterness. Unfulfilled expectations. You become an angry person. You're angry at people. Again, you have a negative spirit. And of course, bitterness is ultimately directed at God because he permitted it all to happen. And you're just, you're just going down. God, why me? I deserve better. I don't deserve to have these headaches. I don't deserve to be stuck in this dead-end job. I remember when I was visiting with Curtis Hudson in the mid-90s, and he was telling me about when his kids came to see him. This is three months before he died. And he said, my three girls, my son came to see me, and he said, I stood there as they left. And I told my wife, you know, some people have tried harder with their kids than we have. They've invested more. And they've been more intentional. We got good kids. And then he said this. He said, but it's all the grace of God. It's all the grace of God. When you put that burden on you, you see, sometimes we'll, we'll look at my kids well, if you take that, you've got, you got to take responsibility for the bad ones, too. 
look at look at that one. Well, that no, he made that choice. You can't do that. It's all the grace of God. I do have a role. God has given me a function as a father. But I can't become bitter about what God has given me when I don't feel traction. And then the next level down is depression. There's no hope for the future. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 12, Hope deferred maketh the heart sick. Hope deferred maketh the heart sick. The building project takes longer. It costs more. In church ministry, people that said they would help forget to help. And the thing that you had your heart set upon, it appears that it will never happen. At least in my life, in some reading, I've done some reading on depression in recent years. And the most common word in depression that comes up with me is the word loss. That depression is most associated with loss. And I would ask you this morning, what are you grieving that you lost? Your reputation? A promotion? Man, I thought, I thought my marriage was going to be like this. I thought we wouldn't be in this neighborhood. I thought we'd be able to visit more. I thought I'd retire earlier. I thought when I did retire, we'd get to do this. I, I, I thought this. And you had these dreams, and they've been shattered a little bit. And, and this traction that you expected to have, it's not there. And here's what's happening. If you're not careful, if you're not careful... You're, you're going to get away from God's purpose for your life. And you're going to follow this, this destructive path to depression. Now, the end of this at the bottom is quitting. You've been to quit or slash. Some people take the ultimate. They take their life. They commit suicide. Loss of motivation is a prelude to quitting. Nobody quits in the moment. Nobody. Quitting is a process. Sometimes, sometimes I'll hear, and I understand, they'll say, well, suicide is, is the most selfish thing in the world because it leaves behind the people. I understand that. But the person that takes their life, they're, they're escaping pain, not excusing it. But they're escaping pain, and many times it's because of what I'm dealing with this morning. Because the enemy has told them, you will never succeed. And they've gotten away from their design. If success is following, fulfilling God's design, God's purpose for your life, if I, if I get out of that, then I'm going to go down this dead hole. And there's depression, there's discouragement. I quit. Ultimately, people can even take their life because I feel like I don't have anything to offer. I'm just lost, not spiritually, but I, I've lost my compass. And maybe you're here this morning and I think you're quitting. You're just heavily discouraged or you're burned out. You're burned out. We use that word sometimes. Huntsville's a good place to use that word when a rocket would take off, especially the Apollo missions and, and even uh, the shuttles. At that stage when the rockets would come out and the fuel would begin to burn out, that stage would drop off. There's no more flame. There's no energy. It, it's, it's useless. It's burned out. And sometimes we assign our own definition of that. But that, it's become part of vocabulary. That's it. I'm, I'm just useless. There's nothing there. There's no impetus. 
appreciate Brother Andy and I think Don too praying uh, for for physical energy for me. I, I'm grateful for that. I can understand that. Sometimes people burn out physically. They burn out emotionally. I hesitate you burn out spiritually because you you really can't do that in your relationship with God. But we can, we can do that in spiritual things with God. Somebody said this. Burnout is not caused by outward pressure but inward tension. God wired you for stress. But God did not wire you to take on his burdens. When I take on God's burdens, I'm going to burn out. God will allow pressures to come into my life, even things that in the intermediate where I feel like, God, this is too heavy. I I thought when I got involved with this that I would finish my degree. I'd have this great job. Or I finish, uh, this would happen. The scholarship would be available. I thought this. And we have all of these imaginings, and they didn't come to pass. And then we get bitter, as I said, because of loss. And then you keep going on down that negative ladder. Worry is assuming God's responsibility. you got to give it to the Lord. Psalm 55, verse 22. Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. The word cast means to throw. It means to hurl. It means to take it from one place to the other. It means to cast your burden. It's on my shoulders. I'm going to take it and put it on the Lord. 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. I know he cares for me, so I can give my burden to God. What burden are you carrying this morning that God never intended for you to carry? Sometimes people come to an altar and figuratively they, they deposit that altar to the they deposit that burden to the Lord, but then they it's it's like they, they get back up and they just carry that burden right back to their seat. The old song's true. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. When I was here in the mid-30s, we had a a Christian school. And we had uh, 300 and some odd students here. And uh, the bills weren't being paid. And uh, we didn't get any income during the summer. We are... Income from, was from August to May. I was watching, I was 30 years old, watching the NBA playoffs. It was in June. I had this pressure in my chest at home. I was laying on the couch. I thought, well, that, that's not normal. I didn't say anything to Paula. I said, that's, that's not good. Next day, I came into the office. Uh, over here, it used to be where the children's wings at. That's where offices were. And so... Uh, I sat down there, and, and, and it came back even heavier. I called my doctor. I knew the nurse well there, Betty. Got her on the phone. I said, Betty, I have this chest. I don't have any shooting pains, but I got this pressure in my chest. How old are you, Rick? I said, I'm 30. She said, hold on for a minute. I didn't want to hold on. I just wanted her to say, you're okay, so I could hang up and go back to work. She said, you get over here right now. No, I have to. She said, get over here right now. I pulled into the uh, there. I walked in. They took me right back. I sat down. Doctor came in. I remember I was shaking. I was literally shaking. And all of this because I knew we didn't have money in the bank. Didn't have money to pay people. I didn't have money to pay myself or, or any of those staff. It was so lean. Some of you that were here, you remember some of those years. It was, it was tough. 
It was hard. And uh, they did some tests and so forth. And then Betty came in and she gave me an injection. And I asked her what it was on the way out. She said, it's a sedative. She said, it's just like that, real matter of fact. She shut the door. And when she shut the door, I began to weep. I said, God, I'm, I've never been like this. I've always been fun and life's been fun. I'm 30 years old. This is not the way it's supposed to be. Call my dad. I said, Daddy, I, and it's good to have a daddy when you're 30 years old. I said, I need you to come pick me up. And dad graciously left his work and came pick me up. He took me home. And I slept from that sedative. I woke up. And, um, you know, it's one thing to be a victim. It's another thing to stay a victim. And I said, I'm going to fix this, but I don't know what the problem is. What's, what's at the root of this? And so I, I said, okay, I know what it is. It's this anxiety. It's fear, worry. It's assuming God's responsibility. I didn't cause these problems. And even if I did... You know, there's a way to fix them. So what can I do? Well, there's... there's
Even when I don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit is praying for God's purposes. Even when I'm so confused and I'm so broken. Even when my headaches were so bad. Praying to the Father according to his purposes. I'm a great judgment upon the people of Israel. God came to a prophet, Habakkuk. In Habakkuk chapter 2 and verses 2 through 4. And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain upon tables, that he may run that readeth it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. Don't miss that. Sometimes I'm troubled. I, I was talking to my son last night. I've always struggled with people that, well, I've got a 10-year vision for my life. I've got a 10-year plan. God doesn't forbid planning, but most people. And again, I'm, I'm not being cynical. I promise I'm not. It ain't going to happen. It ain't going to end up like that. There's going to be a lot of detours. And you're going to get mad. Some of you will get mad at God. I remember what David Gibbs said sometime, one time. He said sometimes preachers, their vision is nothing but raw ambition. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, though it tarry, wait for it. Wait for that prodigal. Wait for that loved one that's lost. Pray for them. Wait for the healing of your heart. Because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Because his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him. But the just shall live by his faith. Good friend, you're not just saved by faith, but you live by faith. And if you see it, it's not faith. It is not hope. And at the end of this book in Habakkuk, in a time of judgment, Habakkuk chapter 3, I love these verses. Verses 17 and 18. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olive shall fail. So this guy sees failure all around in his crops and every other area. 
The fields shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold. And there's no herd in the stalls. Everywhere I look, like Job, my life is just a sum zero, according to some. But the first word in the next verse is the word yet. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord, not in my circumstances. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Do not let a lack of progress cause you to forsake God's purpose. Just because you can't see things working out or it's not working. God's got something better for you. Don't kick at it. I remember the song when I was in Bible college. Just keep on praying till light breaks through. The Lord will answer. He'll answer you. God keeps his promise. His word is true. Just keep on praying. He'll answer you. This morning, are you focusing on your problem or on your purpose? Are you focusing on your lack of progress or God's purpose? He went to his doctor. He was feeling tired. He was feeling weak. The doctor told him, he said, you have lung cancer. He went home and J. Vernon McGee thought to himself, well, if I, if I have one, one more year to live, what am I going to do? I've got cancer. So if I have one more year to live, I'm just going to take my, my sermon notes.
died when he was 88 years old. Not from cancer, but from a heart trouble, even though he had cancer when he died. And he said, I'm sorry, he died in 1988. He was in his late 70s.